When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Patsy Deference is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. Four weeks. That is all that is left between you, me, and the rest of the Patriots watching world from the time players will report to training camp next month. We're going to start this episode with a little bit of housekeeping. Number one, as you should know by now, this episode of the Pats Interference Podcast is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. Secondly, no episode next week. Taking a little break for the July 4th holiday. The next time you will hear this podcast should be the second week of July. I don't know if it'll be Monday. I'd say odds are slim. Uh, The 10th, probably around 12th or 13th. So look for that. Third, no mention of felony gun charges on this episode. Great job, everybody. We don't have to cover any more of that after a half hour of me sitting, talking, and explaining. Uh, Last week, number four, uh, please rate and review podcasts. We continue to grow on YouTube. It's been great to see the audience there grow. But iTunes, Spotify, we could use a little bit of love. And if you like what we're doing here, please support us. It takes one second, literally one second to rate, a couple more seconds to review, leave us a note. Any sort of feedback, as you know by now, is welcome. Uh, Good or bad things we could do better, but preferably, of course, five stars, put them up there because that'll help us grow there. You can support us or support the people that support us, FanDuel, number one. A couple more sponsors might be coming along for the road. But if you have a second, today, tomorrow, next week, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Fifth, let's get to the fun stuff. Dalvin Cook, DeAndre Hopkins. I did TV, what was it, last night? This is uh, recording here Tuesday morning, June 27th. Segment, who is more likely to sign with the Patriots? DeAndre Hopkins or Dalvin Cook? And the rationale for Dalvin Cook possibly signing with the Patriots, of course, is he's a free agent. He's a really good offensive player. The Patriots should be in the market for every good offensive player they can get their hands on. My response, though, was, who cares? Because the other notion was that Dalvin Cook liked a certain post. Dalvin Cook retweeted an interview with Michael Lombardi in the Pat McAfee show saying Dalvin Cook would be a strong fit in New England. And I agree. I would root for this as Dalvin Cook would make the Patriots 2023 season a little bit more interesting. I'm sure you're rooting for it as well because he's a four-time Pro Bowler, okay? He's a really good running back. He can catch the ball. He can alleviate some of the workload that it looks like Ramondre Stevenson is going to have. But until we get some official contact or reported contact, a visit, an offer, anything, this stuff doesn't matter. This is peak dead time in the 24-hour news cycle and people on Get Up or people on the NFL Network, or the Pat McAfee Show, or wherever Michael Lombardi is these days, or the Pat's Interference Podcast, need stuff to talk about, let's talk about these likes. Let's talk about these retweets. Because as far as I can tell, Dalvin Cook, just like DeAndre Hopkins, is going to wait this out. Why? That makes sense, okay? An injury to a running back or receiver across the league. The number one player in every single team's list of who can we get to replace the player we just lost If it's a receiver, it's DeAndre Hopkins. If it's running back, it's Dalvin Cook. And also right now, if you sign that contract, what are you going to do? Go back on vacation, okay? So there's no reason here as we sit June 27th to rush into this. And the other part I'll say is this, as far as Dalvin Cook goes, because we know DeAndre Hopkins has taken a visit. We've reported about their contact. Bill Belichick has acknowledged in a press conference that there is interest. That might be the biggest piece of all. But if you're Dalvin Cook, okay, I, I would just put it to you like this. As far as the, the likes and retweets go, because you know what? Let's let's take that. Let's run with that for a second here because it did involve the Patriots and it happened. On a scale of one to 10, what would you say the Patriots rate as a free agent destination? Okay. Take into consideration the weather, you know, state taxes. How good has the team been? 25, 26, last three years. No playoff wins the last four. Um, the quarterback, Mac Jones, average, maybe below. Could debate that. We'll see. Now, there are some pluses playing for Bill Belichick. So let's give the Patriots, let's, get, let's call them a hard five or soft six, okay? Let's say you're this hard five or soft six at the bar, and there is this nine, 
who you've never spoken with before, never had any contact, never shown any interest. You might even be reading a book or just sipping a beer. And this Dalvin Cook nine comes over and pays you all this attention, starts flirting online in real life, in person in this situation, and just won't let it go. And you've never spoken with them. You've never shown interest. But here they are fawning over you, supposedly. Are you just going to accept that with open arms or go, eh, maybe something's going on over here? Is there a jealous ex in the corner for this nine who's gravitated to you, the hard five, soft six, whatever you want to call it? Or is this, uh, you know, man, woman, person? Maybe a running back of the night, little lady uh, running back of the night scenario. Are they doing this because it behooves them to show interest in you for whatever reason, okay, out of the blue, where the Patriots have a number one running back. They're a team that doesn't really pay top dollar for those positions. And yet here is Dalvin Cook strolling up to Bill Belichick, little touch on the arm, little laughter, flip the hair, whatever it might be, okay? It's in his interest to show interest in teams, to drum up more money and competition for teams who actually have a need at running back and pay for those positions. But as far as why would Dalvin Cook come here, it makes a lot more sense for the DeAndre Hopkins stuff. There's no substance here, okay? You should be asking, why is this a story? The answer is it's late June. We don't have a whole lot to talk about. And Dalvin Cook needs to drum up his market as much as possible because it's in his best interest to do so. That's it. DeAndre Hopkins, a different story. There was a quote-unquote report, uh, and I don't see this to diminish the credibility of South Antonio. Been in the business way longer than I have. Uh, Long-time vet. Incredible amount of sourcing reports, history, all that. That the Patriots appear to be or look like the leader right now for DeAndre Hopkins. But the Browns and Panthers could could jump into the mix. Cool. I, I don't know. I, I that's There's nothing substantive there. And this comes in the heels of a Jeremy Ballard report. That there's a lot of mutual interest and respect between the Patriots. Okay. I'm glad there's mutual respect. I really am. And interest. It makes it more interesting for me in my job. And I think the Patriots should go out and do this. I've said this on this podcast since January. Just go get them. But what's new here? Nothing. Could, maybe, might, like, retweet. So my advice is to not go on TV and say, who cares? Because that ended up being a little bit of a side eye at the producer who came up with the rundown. But again, I don't blame him. It's late July. It's late June. Just relax. Just sit back. Do not jump at any sort of like or retweet or quote-unquote report unless it is hard numbers in terms of years or dollars or another visit because the whole league is on vacation. And yes, Bill Belichick would pick up the phone if it meant getting down your Hopkins at the number that he wants. But the Patriots are trying to get this on their terms. And that's the most important thing to remember. They've had him in for a visit. He left. You can call it successful, productive, whatever it was. From what I tell, can tell, it went well. That's great. He's still a free agent. So is Dalvin Cook. And there's no reason for either of them to sign. As much respect and sidling up and tweeting and liking that might be going on for them to sign any contract until four weeks from now or a little bit later. So just like the rest of the league, enjoy your vacation. All right, football season still a couple of months away, but baseball season is in full swing. And there's no better place to get in on the action than FanDuel America's number one sports book. Because right now, new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's one comma zero 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 one thousand $1,000 back in bonus bets. If your first bet doesn't win, you win if you lose. Just go to FanDuel.com slash Boston to join today. This could be if you're a Red Sox fan. If you're not, if the Sox are losing, bet on them to come back as the game is going on. Or if you like Rafael Devers or Adam Duvall to hit a home run, you can bet on that at FanDuel. Just don't miss out on the chance to snag a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Again, that's FanDuel.com slash Boston to sign up. FanDuel, the official partner of Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball trademarks are used with permission. Must be 21 or older in present Massachusetts to bet. First online real money wager only. $10 deposit is required. Refund is issued as a non-withdrawable bonus bet that expired in 14 days. Restrictions to apply. Please see terms at fanduel.com sportsbook. Hope is here. Gambling help. Line ma.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. GameSenseMA.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234. Okay, coming up next, Jim McBride of the Boston Globe. From an undisclosed location in Nashville, Tennessee, making the rest of us jealous, it is Jim McBride of the Boston Globe. Here not to say goodbye, just to take some time in June because football season, if you remember, Jim, 
there's not a whole lot going on in June, except when you make your own news, which is transferring from the Patriots beat to the Bruins beat. You have had your hands full, and I know this because they quoted one of your first stories. It might have been your first story for the Globe covering the Bruins uh, full-time, and it was quoted on TV, the segment before I go on to gas bag and talk about the Celtics and DeAndre Hopkins for the 112th time. But I'm just reading it and going, A, this is good stuff. In addition to being straight news, B, there's kind of some new guy energy here to it. So I'm really glad to kind of go back and look through your eight years on the Patriots beat. But is there anything about Nashville so far you'd love to share with the people that just makes them more jealous? And this is speaking as someone who was there for 30 hours over the weekend. Uh, well, not the weather, because it is, uh, it is a, I think I, I looked at the temperature today and it just said hell. Uh, so it, it is about a thousand degrees with a hundred percent humidity, but, uh, you know, barbecue always, you know, I'm, I'm trying to do a little scouting for you guys. Cause I know you're coming here for joint practices in August. So I'm trying to get a little restaurant guide for, for my Patriots guys. Excellent. So we have a habit of doing this podcast in very fun locations. Last time was last August, you and I having beer sitting in your hotel room during joint practices, with the Raiders, uh, those conditions, as far as weather outside could also be described as hellish, but right now we're indoors. And the reason, as I mentioned, uh, I want to look back on some of your stories over the last eight years is not only because, like the Bruins one you had last night about Linus Allmark, Linus Allmark, it's you're extremely good at what you do. And I think people who understand the job understand it's kind of an all around gig. Obviously, you need to write, you need to report, there's relationship building. Sometimes it's just sitting a little longer to observe and strike up a conversation. And for folks who are not familiar with Jim's work, which at this point, what's wrong with you? But you broke countless stories on what I believe to be the most competitive beat in the NFL. That has nothing to do with me being on the beat the last five plus years. It's everyone who came before us, the colleagues we shared on that beat. And you broke trades, you broke signings, you broke Cam Newton's release, you broke the passing of Bill Belichick's mother, plenty more that I'm forgetting. And so whether you were just a smart fan or a Twitter addict or a colleague, and I'm two of the last three there you had you on alerts at all times because i need to know what you tweet and thankfully for me you don't tweet a whole lot so i know when you <laughs> pop up yeah. it's something really important and i just i think in big moments of change uh personally or professionally there are certain phrases or expressions that kind of you know get sticky with us that we all reiterate and we say you know it could be condolences or i'm so happy for you or whatever it might be but jim it has truly been a pleasure to work alongside you and learn from you and observe you and stick around a little bit longer on my end to see what you're doing so that I could get better. And I'm, I'm just really, really happy you're here. Oh, thanks. Uh, you, you're, you're making me very embarrassed. I'm, it's not a sunburn. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm blushing, but thank you very much. It's been a great <laughs> eight year run on the beat, uh, you know, with you and, and so many others, uh, you know, we're a competitive beat in new England, especially with the Patriots, but it's a friendly beat. Uh, you know, guys get along, you know, there's certainly there's uh, there's arguments and, you know, um, other cantankerous things, but for the most part, we're, it's a really good tight knit group, you know? Um, and I think that when I think about the Patriots beat guys, the guys that are there every day, I think you could plug any one of us into any beat in the NFL and we would thrive. And I'm not sure you can say that for every NFL outpost because, you know, ours is, ours is generally the most competitive. You go to the combine and our presence, the new England presence is stronger than anyone else. You go to the, you know, to, to Super Bowls and the New England presence is stronger than anyone else, even if the Patriots aren't in it. So it's um, it's competitive and it keeps you on your toes. And, you know, com competition makes 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 for good for good journalism. You know, uh, Patriots players to a man always say, you know, iron sharpens iron. And, you know, it's cliche, but it's true. And it's true on our beat, too. Like you you want to beat the next guy. But when he beats you, for the most part, you go up to that guy and say, hey, nice job getting that story, because it's it's not easy. Definitely. And that was the first time I had you on my podcast. It's the now defunct podcast, the New England No Huddle, sitting in a little globe office uh, sometime in the spring of 2019, because one of the five stories we'll get to today was you following, shadowing Bill Belichick through the Alabama Pro Day that year, the Georgia Pro Day. They had just come off the Super Bowl. And I had to pick my jaw off the floor a couple times during that interview because I'm just, how the heck does this happen? What is this like? And if you want to argue with Jim about any of the points that he just made, because I understand there's a lot of criticism, Boston sports media, it's a large presence, very intense fan base. Go ahead. Just know, though, you are arguing with a man who has been at the Boston Globe, and I'm sorry I'm doing it to this, Jim, longer than I have been alive. Joined the Globe in 1988, co-op student from Suffolk, longtime editor, joined the Patriots B in 2015, has done outstanding work. And let's get right to it. 
Um, we were texting obviously before this started, and I mentioned the stories I wanted to get to. Some of your favorite favorites or your experiences. February 6, 2017, the headline is, in a comeback for the ages, Patriots beat Falcons in a heart-pounding Super Bowl. And look, this is a great story, and I'm going to read from it here soon. But you were writing two stories at once, like a lot of folks were in that sweaty press box in Houston. And then the Globe printed an early edition that reached Florida, headline bitter end, expecting the Patriots, because of course you would, for them to lose down 28-3. to How did you juggle the two stories? Take us through the third and fourth quarter before I read what ended up being her lead that night. Yeah, well, at halftime, when it looked like, you know, they were cooked, right? Uh, I, I basically started writing a losing game story and how, you know, this great season was coming to a crashing end to, to a team that uh, that no one really gave a chance to, to even stay with the Patriots in that in that Super Bowl. I mean, they had Falcons had speed, but everyone thought, you know, if you went down position by position, you were checking every box on the Patriots side. So what it was, you know, it was a devastating loss. And I was trying to capture that moment. Um, and then Dante Hightower showed up as he <laughs> always does in the Super Bowl. And, you know, he sacked Matt Ryan. Uh, Chris Long was right there. Alan Branch uh, fell on the ball. And, you know, not a lot of people made anything much about it because they were still way down at that point. And I just remember looking over at my editor and saying, this game's over. And he just kind of chuckled and he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I immediately went into, you know, comeback mode. Um, so I had two screens going. I had, you know, the losing game story, the winning game story, and just had to keep flopping back and forth. You know, it was it, it was crazy. And then you just kept building and building. And then I remember somebody, one of the columnists looked at me and said, Jesus, you were right. They, they, they're going to they're gonna win this game, um, you know, and, and sure enough, they did. So that was, uh, you know, I, I think I wrote heart, heart pounding uh, win. My heart was being more, you know, as strong as any player on that sideline because I had a deadline to to meet and uh, I was trying to come up with a clever lead, and uh, you know, you, just all the stuff that go into that. So it was uh, as, as exhilarating as that was. It was uh, it was a pretty stressful night, and I remember when I finally got back to my hotel with the with that had just opened in Houston with the big Texas sized uh, lazy river. I just wanted to sit in that lazy river for about five hours and, and <laughs> decompress. I heard about that last week when we were all hanging out and kind of you guys reminiscing and half the stories now I feel like I've been or experienced in some, like the next story we're going to go to is Mexico City. But the Texas-sized pool that's in Marriott, close, or it's, it's outside Minute Maid Park down in Houston? Yeah, yeah. In fact, the uh, the the exercise room overlooks Minute Maid Park. So it's a, it's a, and it had just opened like a week before the, the Super Bowl. It was pretty much built when Houston landed that Super Bowl gig. So it was a, it was a brand new hotel. It had a uh, Craig Biggio sports bar in the lobby and the big, uh, you know, it was okay. And, you know, I, I'll give credit to Dan Shaughnessy. He came up with the thing and he said, this bar is like Craig Biggio. Good, not great. <laughs> <laughs> I think Hall of Famer now, Craig Biggio, but yes. also Dan Shaughnessy. So I'll leave the baseball to him. Yes. In the meantime, here was your lead is you are scrambling to go from a losing game story. What does this mean? Devastation, shock, uh, and everything that goes along with that. Quote, Case closed. Tom Brady cemented his legacy as the greatest quarterback in history Sunday night, and he did it in the most dramatic fashion. Patriots quarterback earned his fifth Super Bowl title and collected his fourth Super Bowl MVP as the Patriots stays the most incredible and improbable comeback in history of America's game, beating the Falcons 34-28 in overtime at Energy Stadium. Erasing a 25-point second-half deficit, the Patriots scored 31 unanswered points against the Falcons team that played the fourth quarter as though they were waiting to be fitted for their rings rather than finishing their business on the field. Well done. Uh, James White's two-yard run in OT, the first in Super Bowl history, was the difference as the Patriots pulled off their second stunning Super Bowl victory in three seasons. Quote, this is unequivocally the sweetest, said team owner Robert Kraft, after the long-awaited, awkward moment when Commissioner Roger Goodell handed him the Lombardi trophy. So, first well, of all... It sounds like I know what I'm doing. Yes. Uh, <laughs> this holds up. I think in, in so many different ways. And again, I, you know, you've been in the business longer than I have been alive. That's the last time I'll say it. I promise. But in, in my opinion, this holds up. And that was the essence of this game. Boom. Brady right off the top. Second thing, one of the most memorable games in the history of the sport. That's now over a hundred years old. And then of course, you've got to get to the Goodell craft mention is a nod to the deflate gate punishment that obviously Brady finally served after two years, of legal battles and reports and leaking here and there. 
and, and it's not true of all the Super Bowls, right? Not all of the Super Bowls were about Brady. We saw the last one that we watched with them. Deion Branch was the highlight of the Super Bowl win against the Eagles. So why did you start there? How did you nail something that held up not only Monday morning and talk radio, but, you know, four, five, six years later, that's what that game is about. We all recognize it in hindsight, but you knew in the moment. I think the, the the things that motivate, well, adrenaline for first of all, and then, you know, um, the thought of having that cold Bud Light when I, my, my night was finally <laughs> over. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I think that, uh, you know, the story was Brady because of the fact that he, you know, engineered that comeback, even though, you know, you could have made a case for James White to be the MVP of that game. And I, and I did have an MVP vote in that game and I did go with Brady, but uh, I was a little torn, uh, could have been White. Um, you know, after all that he had been through uh, that season with serving the four game suspension, you know, and just coming back and and basically going on his personal scorched earth tour, you know, through through the NFL that year. I mean, teams didn't have a chance. Brady was so locked in and he's like he's been his whole career. But that year, you could tell he had the biggest chip on his shoulder of all the chips he's had on his shoulder. And he's had more chips than, you know, a, a Vegas poker room on his shoulder. But he had it. And I thought that was important. And, you know, I thought the comeback was obviously monumental. Uh, I mean, you never see comebacks like that in the NFL, especially on the biggest stage. Um, and then, of course, the, you know, Goodell, who, you know, smiled his way through that ceremony as if he had never <laughs> handed down a, a single punishment. And, 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 and Robert Kraft, to give him his due, he could have been salty on that stage, but he knew the moment was more important than being upset about what had happened, you know, months prior or and years that- prior. That was the saltiest he got was saying this is unequivocally the sweetest, you know, right. to invoke the salt. You bring in a little sugar and say this is the sweetest. Everyone knows what you mean and what you're talking about. So, uh, right. All right. Let's go to Mexico City, November 19th, 2017. The Patriots beat the Raiders uh, 33 to eight. The location is the story. They had just come off another blow, I believe, of the Broncos on Sunday night football. Again, this is the season before I joined the beat. Um, but the other part about this was the Patriots were practicing in elevation, staying in elevation, Air Force Academy, for playing the Broncos. And as I mentioned, the Raiders, both for blowouts. Um, you had takeaways, was the headline takeaways from an impressive Patriots victory in Mexico City. You know, Ted Karras is this the young center we don't know about yet who's playing well. Patrick Chung had like a fourth down stop or something. But the travel around Mexico City. This is the last international game since the Patriots will go to Germany. If you want to call out sick and, and come with us, Jim, I will not tell anyone. Uh, I and, put that, that uh, request into my boss. Yeah, in November. But just tell us a little bit about the travel before we then get to the uh, story I already mentioned about you following Belichick along, you know, the pro days in Alabama and Georgia. Yeah, it was it was crazy. You know, we we uh, we had a, I think it was a Sunday night game in Denver. Uh, then we, you know, a lot of us uh, drove up the next morning to Colorado Springs because the Patriots were practicing and staying at the Air Force Academy. Uh, and that was just a, a, a wonderful experience because I had, you know, we basically got to kind of live on that campus. We were right on the edge. And, um, you know, the you walk into to Falcon Stadium and there's those signs there that basically are warning the, you know, to, to get in the other team's heads about the elevation and you could get dizzy and you could get sick. <laughs> and and what, you mentioned the Karis thing and that was, that came out of the blue because David Andrews had a real bad reaction to the elevation. And he went from being the Patriots starting center to, to really being sick that week and he couldn't play. And St. Karras came in and did it. But the, you know, then we flew to, to Mexico City for that game. And it was it was unlike any experience. Like you, you mentioned 30 hours in Nashville. I think we had 30 hours in Mexico City and we stayed in this unbelievable hotel. Of course, you know, everything was in, you know, uh, pesos. So we, you know, getting that that done. But we were warned by the NFL, like get to the hotel and bunker down, like stay in the hotel. Like there wow. was a, you know, there was a, um, a little uh, bar across the street and we were told like, don't go there. Uh, I think Jeff Howe and I did anyway, but. Um, <laughs> oh, not Jeff. No. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the races trouble, we're calling, of course. Yeah. Troublemaker that he is. Uh, so we went there, but we, we quickly, we, I think we had one survey and we were like, you know, let's get back to our room because this is not good. Um, and then we got up the next morning and they shuttled us to the game and we went through some of the scariest neighborhoods and downtown. Like there was an armed, soldier on every corner as we made our way to to azteca estadio azteca you know however you say it and you know and the, the wi-fi was horrible at the game like i'd log on and i'd bump off the reporter that was next to me and then he'd reboot and it would bump me off so it was it was horrible but i i know that was like the brandon cook's best game uh patrick chung as you mentioned was a monster that game he gave me a great quote in the locker room afterwards because he tackled the guy that 
yeah. was giving 100 pounds to. I lift and, weights. Yeah. Yeah. And he just looked at me and he, and he flexed and he goes, that's okay, Jim. I lift weights too. And I, <laughs> I started laughing. Like I'm like, I, he, he was great. You know, he, uh, Patrick was a, a great quote. He really was. All right, let's get to Alabama. Uh, we don't want to be near any more armed guards or any, you know, terrible neighborhoods or just places where your Jim and Jeff are only having one beer because God knows that's a few places on earth. Uh, it goes <laughs> for me too, having drank with you both. So March 23rd, 2019, you published a story on the road with Bill Belichick and education and scouting and football. And the lead is you are in an auditorium at Alabama's football facility with Belichick. It sounds like someone walks in at another point. Maybe it was you. Uh, and he is reviewing film of Alabama's recent win over Oklahoma in the college football playoff semifinal. And this is right before their pro day when obviously, you know, guys will run, they'll lift, they'll test, they'll do interviews. And so jumping down a few paragraphs, you wrote, progressing at a nearly frame by frame pace, the coach uses the red light. He's got a little uh, laser pointer to drag yeah, I, out the I route. I red in my lead and boy, did the scientists kick my... <laughs> Wasn't going to yeah. mention it. Yeah. <laughs> Digging her own but, grave here. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, oh, a little po, you know, a little poetic, but uh, yeah. What, what, what was the correct that. term if it was not infrared dot going across the screen? Because it's still there in the online site. So I, I I don't know. That's a small middle finger to the science community who bothered to write you that one time about this. Yeah. I, you know, I figured it was a little, you know, you know, uh, poetic license. Uh, I people, you know, most people knew exactly what I was talking about. And it's just the, the, the little red light on a, on a pointer. Yeah. You know, uh, so that, that's what it was. And, you know, I, I guess I got a little outside my depth with the uh, scientific community, but uh, I think most people got the point and, and, and enjoyed it. So uh, I figured let, let's keep it there. We knew he wasn't burning holes through the screen. <laughs> so. Uh, so sorry, Jim, that you wrote infrared. Uh, you know, I was buzzed with the actual uh, term, terminology. There was, was an actual MIT professor who emailed me like the next morning. And I'm, I'm basking in the glow of the story, which I really was proud of and this yeah. guy took me down a few levels <laughs> all right let's just go back to the glory then so uh progressing at a nearly frame by frame pace the coach uses the red light technical term to drag out the route a crimson tide defender takes before getting quote washed out by a swarm of sooners belichick then maps out what would have been a more prescient path to the ball in another example alabama is showing a double robber scheme a concept designed to muddle the middle of the field short zone droppers Ideally, it confuses the quarterback and makes him hesitate, even if it's just for an extra heartbeat. As an Alabama safety charges forward, a teammate on the edge drops back, second robber. Suddenly, a second level that appeared as open as a four-lane highway at midnight is as clogged as a southeast expressway at rush hour. Murray, Kyler, tries to squeeze the ball into an impossibly small window and is predictably knocked away. Quote, Alabama should have killed this, Belichick predicts before the play, and it does. Uh, though the session is focused mainly on Alabama's draft eligible players that serve many other purposes. It's a chance to watch the players who are finished at Oklahoma. It's a chance to get a head start on the players who will be returning to both schools in the fall. Belichick is taking advantage of it all. So you go on Alabama's dominating good point of attack. Um, you still know it's Oklahoma's offensive line is really good. That was a year. Bobby Evans, I think was a third round pick. And I advocated for Bobby Evans. And this is another example of why not to listen to me on this podcast <laughs> because Bobby Evans, I recently checked this PFF before we jumped on is having a <clears throat> miserable career, but in this play, he, you know, swallows up an Alabama edge rusher. As you mentioned, Belichick stops the tape during Evans backpedal, puts the red dot on his chest and says, you're just not going to run through this guy. So, you know, you close up there. He explains why you want to go to pro days and see the guys run in person. He says, quote, you're standing right next to the guy. You're getting a real good look at him, Belichick says. The combine's great, but here you're up closer than what you get there. So there's a lot there, and that doesn't even cover your trip to Georgia. But I can only imagine how many people listening and watching to this would kill for 10 minutes and one infrared laser pointer just to sit with Bill and watch film or go to a pro day. You got to do both and then went to Georgia following him, Tuscaloosa, up to Athens. What was on the cutting room floor of the store you couldn't share then or right then and, you know, maybe have time for now? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, it was a surprise to me as well, because I thought I was going to have like five or 10 minutes with with coach just talking about being there. Um, but I got brought into the, the room and the impromptu film session happened without my knowledge. It was like I we hadn't planned that part of it. So I had to scramble. I'm grabbing my notebook as I was just, you know, thinking I was going to tape tape coach for a couple of minutes telling me about why he likes the pro days, which he did get to, but that impromptu film session was just, um, I still remember it like it was yesterday because it was that, it was that great. Um, and you know, 
I'm thinking to myself, am I really, am I really sitting in the Alabama quarterbacks room with Bill Belichick uh, watching film? Like, <laughs> never mind 12 year old me being excited. You know, whatever age I was at the time, 50 something was excited. Like this was, this was, this was awesome. And, you know, he was so gracious and he didn't have to take that time with me, but he did. And, you know, he, he appreciated the effort of coming all the way to Tuscaloosa and, and, and being there. And, uh, you know, when I made the request just to have a few minutes with them, I thought it was a long shot and it turned into like just a, a great two and a half day experience. And uh, I'll never forget it. And it's uh, one of my favorite, probably my favorite moment of, of being on that beat for eight years. Incredible story. Like I, I just, I would encourage everyone to go read it again. The the headline of that story, if you want to Google it, along with mention of the Boston Globe, on the road with Bill Belichick and education and scouting and football. And it's not only just the access, but I think the way you capture that he's multitasking, even as he's sitting there watching the same film, holding the same laser pointer and trying to soak all this in. Mind you, he's not there for the film. He can get that film at home in his office, probably yep. in his car, but he's in there the auditorium soaking all that in, obviously, with all the access and relationships with Nick Saban. And I think they were filming that that HBO documentary then, right? They were. And it, it, to your point about multitasking, like he was doing this film session with me during the weights and measures portion of the pro day, which basically he could care less about because that's just going to come in a sheet, right? Like, you know, yeah. so-and-so's 6'4", 325 or whatever. Um, so he was using that time that he didn't need to be with the players to watch some film. And I was just the, the beneficiary. And uh, to his point about being on the field with guys, I was on the field with him during during that that session and a couple other sessions. And we would be in the middle of a conversation. Sometimes it was just two guys talking, uh, which, again, is surreal. But he would notice something during a drill and he'd like just abandon the conversation immediately because something caught his eye and he'd go to the lineman or the running back or the receiver and, you know, kind of grab them and say, hey, look, this is what you're doing wrong. Uh, I we want to see you do this. And then he would just float back to me and we'd start talking again. And it was like, he is so football driven that even the minorest mistake a guy was making in a drill, he wanted to correct it. You know, it might be a guy that would, would never come to the Patriots or it might be a guy that could, that gets drafted, but he would wanted to teach them the right way. And uh, I think, you know, when it comes right down to it, that's what he is, right? A teacher. And he's, he's just so good at it. Yeah, his mother was, um, father obviously a scout and a coach, and I think that backdrop is so instructive to understanding him at times. Um, not all times, you know, maybe sometimes when you're watching press conferences on Wednesday. Fridays are a little bit different story, opens up, a little bit more long-winded. Uh, but one thing I'll add and kind of confirm on my end, um, actually one note first, that that draft, they take Damian Harris. So that pro day, very productive trip. The next year they take Anthony Jennings, both out of Alabama. Um mm -hmm is that you mentioned just the, the appreciation of the effort on, on your end to go travel down to Tuscaloosa. And obviously you pitched this through the proper channels and see what would come out because it's, it's a great story idea. And, and it's, a, it's something that hadn't been done before. I went down to Rutgers a couple of months ago and wrote about him speaking at a coaching clinic down there as did Brian Belichick. They didn't know about it until the day of when I'm rereading the kind of, you know, terms and agreement of going to this, which I've signed up for coaching clinics before when I was covering college football, I'd connect that way, go to learn about the game. It's really, really helpful. I was like, you know, like I could very much see Greg Schiano or a friend of his dragging me out by the collar because they just don't want me there because they didn't get a heads up. So I just say, hey, a heads up. I'm going to drive five and a half hours there, five and a half hours back and just write the story. And it got back like, no, that's fine. You know, if it's about ball, even if you are a media member, which we're all well aware of the perception of the relationship between Bill and the media and it fluctuates um, that I heard after the story came out that it was appreciated by I'll just say one of the Belichick's to make that kind of effort. So, and that's a part that I don't think many people understand. We go behind the scenes of the story, but behind the scenes of the job at one point, there is an expression of gratitude of understanding we're documenting history in real time and it's most vivid sense. That's what the news is. And for a guy who has a well-documented appreciation of history broadly, but of course, football history, um, it's not lost in him that that's what we're doing with stories like these. Okay, fast forward, February 29th, 2020, the headline is, here's what player agents do during the NFL Combine. First, did you know the world was going to shut down in two weeks? Because I remember that Combine. I sure as hell did not. I didn't. I remember the, the like uh, before I got on the, the flight home reading a story in the Globe about uh, there was like an outbreak 
at the Long Wharf Marriott, I think. And I was like, oh, what's this? You know, 0.3 miles from my old apartment at the time. Just you yeah. love to see that. So, yeah, I had no idea that uh, that was coming. I thought that was, a, you know, a, a European problem uh, or an Asian problem. I didn't think it was, you know, I thought it was going to get locked down and, uh, you know, America was going to be just fine. So, no, I didn't. <laughs> Yeah. All right. So this is the lead. Uh, this is in Indianapolis. Uh, Ron's last name. Your your agent. Uh, Slavin. Slavin. Okay. That was my gut instinct. I should have. I should have just gone with it. Uh, here we are. So Ron Slavin's alarm clock clangs at the crack of dawn. He's off and running. It's combine week, and that means early mornings, late nights, and days jam packed with meetings that will test Slavin's mental and physical endurance. Nobody will be clocking Slavin's 40 time as he zips through the hallways and skywalks of the Indianapolis Convention Center and connecting hotels, making myriad stops at appointments across the city. Slavin isn't looking to get drafted. He's looking out for those looking to get drafted. Welcome to the craziest week of the year for NFL agent. So somehow I didn't know you wrote the story because I did my own version last year and it was one agent. I didn't have as many quotes, but it was very much in the same vein, which I don't know if that would have changed my decision, but I certainly would have looked at yours and what you had done and tried to do something different and learn from what I could. Um, you got quotes from multiple agents, discuss what they did. There's a good amount of color in here. I think it's also a story, again, having written one myself and experienced at least with one, that there are certain things where it's like, hey, you can't put that in there. And you don't like surrendering editorial freedom at all. But in stories where you're granted this type of access, there is a negotiation, not in terms of you know any criminal activity you've got to omit or things that break the rules. Like the news is news. You invite me, I'm going to write and report what I see. But for privacy's sake or any sort of conflict of interest, whatever it might be, you just omit that stuff. Um, what did you see? What did you hear? This is three plus years later. Tell us about shadowing an agent or two for, for a full day at the combine. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, shout out to, to Ron Slavin and, and Evan Brennan for, for giving me that time because it was an incredibly crazy week for them. Um, but, you know, I think they've got like like the NFL staffers for the most part, they have so many balls in the air that 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 week. Um, they've got guys that they've already signed. There's also guys that um, still looking for an agent that haven't decided yet. And, you know, they're a candidate to represent them. So they've got to kind of look out for them, too. Um, well, obviously spending most of the time with the guys they've, um, they've agreed to represent. Um, so, no, so they're looking out make sure they're, they're, you know, they're eating right. They're, they're not staying out They're They're adhering to all the rules. So it's almost like they're a parent, but the other thing that I think a lot of people like, you know, you and I know, cause we we've been in the media long enough, but a lot of pe people don't know that that week is a big laying the foundation for free agency week. I know this is going to be a big shock to a lot of people, but <laughs> people actually negotiate and talk about free agents long before even the legal tampering period. They're never going to admit it, but those guys have to do that. They have to go out and and, and talk. You know, if they see uh, a representative from whatever team in the hallway and, you know, they're thinking about signing them, th that guy's going to grab the agent and say, hey, what does your guy think about this? What does your guy think about that? Uh, it's all off the record. Um, and it's, you know, it's not nefarious, except that it's against the rules, but it's, you know, these things are going to happen anyway, at some point. So um, they've got to do that too. So there's a lot of networking, a lot of negotiation. And I think those guys breathe such a sigh of relief um, when the combine finally ends. And, um, you know, it, it's tough because they're, 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 they're dodging us. Um you know, because we, you know, most of us know the agents now we've, we've, we've made our list at the end of the regular season, what agents we have to we really need to talk to. Uh, there used to be a, a, a great uh, place to negotiate or, or, or network um, the, the agents would have a breakfast, you know, and we'd stand out in that, you stood out in that hallway for hours, you know, waiting for. They're getting you know, certified again, right? It was in that in the convention yeah, center, so same big hallway. They've yeah. changed the rule, but back in the day, they had to show up to that and and basically take a little tutorial and and recertify, and we'd be out there waiting for you know you know Devin McCourty's agent or or you know Tom's agent or somebody's agent, um, and sometimes we'd wait all day, and the guy would finally emerge, and he'd be like, "Hey, I'm not talking." So it would be a completely <laughs> fruitless day for us, and then we'd have to a pull a story out of thin air. Um, so it was tough. I, I'm, I'm kind of glad that that agent breakfast isn't there anymore because it, it takes a lot of the, you know, the, the anxiety off, but um, yeah, the combine is boy, 
uh, I'll miss the combine because that's where you, you do a lot of boots on the ground work and it may not always reflect in the paper the next day. Yes. But something that you, some conversation that you had with somebody, whether it was a player, player's agent, or a staffer, a coach, a scout might show up, um, you know, three months down the line when, when training camp comes or even a month down the line, when, when that player gets drafted by the team you're covering and Hey, all of a sudden you have a little bit of background on that guy that, Maybe no one else has other than, you know, the the scouting report. No, it's absolutely right. I, I think some of the most important days in this job uh, really are 16, 18 hours, mostly hours spent at night, but doing yeah. that kind of networking, just cold calling in person, walking up, hey, I'm so-and-so, you know, speak about their team, executives is how I've gotten to know people around the league, not necessarily with the Patriots, um, you know, agents that you mentioned, it's so, so important because everyone's there. And not everyone is going. I'm not sure how much longer the combine is going to be the combine. Teams like the Rams just don't show up. I think Josh McDaniels might have been the only rep from the Raiders for at least a couple of days there with certain prospects. Everyone's doing it via Zoom. Um, but a I, lot of agents are saying, you know, the the, uh, the combine can hurt you more than it can help you. So they're they're yeah. advising the clients not to go. So it's you know it's the closest the NFL has to a a convention like a, you know, a corporate convention or industry convention. Sponsored so by Bud Light and Hennessy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And, you know, look at St. Elmo's and, and Prime 47. Those those guys are going to be very upset if, uh, if the combine leaves. But it's it's getting to the point in, in a lot of people's eyes, uh, agents and, and, and some scouts, that uh, it's become more important for us, the media, than it is for them. And if that's the case, why are they going? Because they certainly are not in the business to do us any favors. So in the paper, <laughs> yeah, honestly, uh, the version of the story that I wrote, you know, the the agent I was with met with the team. He met with another agent. He was trying to absorb, build their own agency. Other conversations that you don't really know. We're not going to go into detail in this podcast because a lot of the work done sometimes with the hiring of GMs, executives, or even coaches are larger forces behind the scenes. A CAA, a clutch, um, and athletes first, and and. Teams or players or characters or pieces only move in certain directions because they're aligned with one of those two larger agencies. But the team meeting for me was really interesting. And that was one where I had to admit a lot of different details. And obviously it's the agent pitching their players in that draft to the representative from that team. You know, you kind of BS for a little bit about free agency. What are you going to do with this guy? And he's not giving away any more details, but I had a much better sense of what that team thought about certain players before they did bring them back uh, sure. and why they would. So did you, you sit on any of those meetings, anything where you can kind of give a little bit more detail here, you know, three years later? I wish I could, but uh, it was it was like I would follow them to the meeting and then it would go behind closed doors and I'd get a mm -hmm. little uh, inkling of what the conversation was like from the agent's perspective. But, you know, without, you know, they, they weren't they weren't willing to divulge, divulge that information. So uh, yeah. never got never got that kind of uh, inside scoop. Unfortunately, I would have loved it. But, um, you know. I'll never know exactly which conversations came to fruition on on day on draft day. Yeah. Well, uh, the agent I followed, his players did not go to that one team that I know he visited with among dozens, you know, which is another way to illustrate when we talk about or hear reports or report ourselves, you know, Team X had trade talks with Team Y. Okay, was that a phone call going like, hey, how much would it take for, you know, so-and-so? Or was it, we're willing to offer, we're invested. Agents who hear from teams or speak with teams of agents and draft picks happens all the time. A lot of different iterations, not all are important. You sit for 10 minutes outside of a Starbucks in a hotel lobby, which is where that was for me. Um, okay, yeah, you had a meeting. Is it breaking news? Is it real news? No, it's just kind of part of the job, which you illustrated very, very well. Again, if people want to read it, uh, here's what player agents do during the NFL combine from Jim in February 2020. So fast forwarding almost uh, a little more than three years, you are in Baton Rouge, another pro day. This time, not shadowing Bill Belichick, though I'm sure he spent at least some time with him. He's quoted in the piece. Um, April 1st, 2023, the headline is, At LSU Pro Day, Bill Belichick's relationship with Brian Kelly stays fresh. So this one I'll read straight from the lead, and then we'll get to it at the end. Uh, Baton Rouge. It was just a couple of New England guys talking football and just about everything else. When Bill Belichick took a Southern sojourn to Louisiana State's sprawling indoor football facility Wednesday, it wasn't just to check out some NFL prospects. It was to also renew acquaintances with longtime comrade Brian Kelly, who took over the LSU program a year ago. Kelly, an Everett Mass native and St. John's Prep and Assumption College alum, who has often visited the Patriots during spring OTAs, said conversations with Belichick can involve family, friends, and mutual connections. Kelly then mentioned they met at a charity and the two charities. 
quote, we tag teamed a couple events for breast cancer research support, and that's how we got together. And we maintained a relationship through football, but it started outside of football. Their ties get stronger with the visits. Another quote, I love catching up with Bill because for me, more than anything else, it's to get insight from a different perspective of where he sees the growth of your team, said Kelly, because they get a chance to see what you've done in the past year. So you get that feedback from guys you respect. And he tells you, quote, all right, here's where I see your guys are, strengths and weaknesses, end quote. And it's a real good way in this industry, if you will, to check yourself for good and bad. So for Belichick, you mentioned that it's a good way to get insights on their personality, you know, things you only learn day to day being around these prospects and some changing dynamics in college football, like a guy transferring three times once upon a time, you know, was a red flag. Okay. Yep. Um, now, not so much. So Brian Kelly, you mentioned Massachusetts guy, Belichick been here, you know, if you want to include his first uh, stint in New England, basically three decades. How did the story come about? And then more importantly, what was it like telling Brian Kelly, you, Jim McBride, are a Notre Dame diehard? Yeah, it was it was funny because, you know, uh, you know, I I uh, reached out and 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 Bill knew I was coming. Uh, we were at the owners meetings shortly before that. So this was right on the heels of, of his. Um, That's right. Availability in Phoenix at the at the owners meeting. So. Uh, I left the owners' meetings early, flew to uh, to New Orleans, and drove up to Baton Rouge. So, Bill knew I was there. We had to, um, you know, I got the credential through LSU, uh, but I was behind the ropes like everyone else. And uh, Bill was talking to Brian, and when he spotted me, like they came over and they started talking to me by the, you know, the roped off area. And then, <laughs> uh, funny enough, like Bill just said, "Hey, can can he come out with us?" Because you know the security was everywhere. And uh, and Brian Kelly goes. I'm Brian Kelly, he can come wherever he wants. <laughs> so <laughs> under the ropes, I went and we went over and then uh, ended up talking to, to Brian and first mentioned that I was from Malden and I wasn't supposed to like an Everett guy. And then uh, that I was a Notre Dame fan. I wasn't supposed to like an ex-Notre Dame coach, uh, you know, and he he had a couple of laughs at that, but he turned serious when I talked about Notre Dame uh, for a second. And he said, you know, I think he's he's a little defensive about that, about leaving. And he said, look, my job when when I went to Notre Dame was to bring that school back to prominence. I think I did. Oh, that football program, not that school. I, I I shouldn't say. And, you know, sitting there, I'm like, yeah, you know, he really did. You know, he got us to the, the title game a couple of times, but you know, it, it, it was tough, but he was, he was so generous with this time. And he gave me a lot of nice insights, especially about NIL and like, you know, how they're, that, that world is changing college football so much now. Like, you know, parents are coming to him and say, Hey, how much is my kid worth? You know, and, and I think I mentioned this in the story and he's like, I don't know what your kid's worth. Like, I, I know what he's worth to us, but I can't yeah. say what, you know, Alabama's not going to come in and say he's worth twice as much. So it's it's really rapidly changing the landscape of college football. And, you know, um, not always for the better. It's certainly better for the players and they deserve their their piece of the pie. But I think, uh, you know, the, the fact that guys are transferring a bunch, it's hard for fan bases to get behind guys now because they don't know if they're going to be there for, for you know, six months or six hours so it's 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 tough yeah it's almost caught up to college basketball in that sense partly because you know you could leave after a year depending on whatever the rules will be enacted with this nba cba that hasn't been finalized yet but yeah you could transfer uh or go pro and you just have them for that there's not kind of a connection established but just going back to the first thing brian kelly said go ahead think about these kids that are contemplating you know leaving school early and joining the nfl draft like they really have to trust the evaluators more than ever, because if a kid ends up being a fifth, sixth, seventh round pick grade, he might make more money on an NIL to stay in school for that junior year or that senior year. You you could make more money. I mean, and, and that money's guaranteed, right? And in the NFL, that money's not guaranteed. You don't make the team other than your signing bonus, which for fifth, sixth, seventh round picks, free agents, it's not going to be a ton of cash. So, uh, you know, th those financial decisions are a lot different now than they were, you know, even five years ago. Uh, one last note, and you got to go quickly, but Brian Kelly saying my job at Notre Dame was to bring the program back and not winning a national championship and getting embarrassed in the national championship. Has the energy of a kid who's told to clean his room and you look at the dresser and, the, you know, the drawers are shut, but there's like a short t-shirt sleeve hanging out and then the underwear outside one like okay the clothes are in the dresser it's put away but we can see where you didn't really get the job done here um yeah. but i i think you're right he's probably a little defensive about that now that being said um lsu you know from the resources uh the level of competition everything you know is a great job 
It was uh, his call. It was made. He's on to different things. I think now, he'll win a national championship there. I really do. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I, I you know, deep Nick Saban last year, his first year, not a lot of his kids on that roster. Uh, one other insight on the, that LSU trip was, um, you know, mm -hmm. the Patriots ended up drafting Keishon uh, Booty uh, that day. And he really didn't have an impressive pro day. And from the people I talked to, he wasn't really shining during the team interviews uh, the night before pro days. So, uh, you know, I think that's one of the reasons why he fell to the sixth round, was it? Yep. To the Patriots. You know, we'll see. Uh, but, you know, he he could be. I talked to a lot, a lot of people were like, look, if this kid stays consistent, he could be the steal of the draft. So Patriots fans have that to look forward to. Now he was not on the field for mini camp. So <laughs> there's that aspect, you know, who, who knows, uh, but uh, really intriguing guy, but like not a guy that got a lot of attention on that pro day from, from really any of the scouts. And, you know, he, he ended up getting drafted because he's just that athletically talented. So we'll see uh, how that shakes out. That was a nice, nugget sandwich with two pieces of very moldy negative bread <laughs> we just put there but i i'm with you and i'll, I'll say when he got drafted uh i don't know if it was that night because this was day three and that's where just you know things salary during the draft hundreds of picks or tr keeping track of everyone trades yada 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 your mind just melts and so it might have been sunday when i texted but i asked someone i was like okay is this kid gonna buy in they're like hell if i know <laughs> like and that's I, 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 yeah but it's worth taking a flyer six round absolutely. is, is worth pick absolutely yeah. Um, yeah. why not so. all right two more and this is stepping back down for a second um not specific to this story but if you want to go back by all means i love asking this question to coaches and you don't always get a great answer but when you do it's so insightful and i'll ask you this either about the job as a uh, nfl beat writer a patriots beat writer or someone who's had so much experience directly alongside bill belichick for stories what is a major misconception about any of those that you can dispel for us as someone who's been on the inside at any one of those three? I think for an NFL reporter and a Patriots reporter, it's that we're always looking to stick it to the organization. I think a lot of people think that, uh, you know, it's, you, you look, sometimes you tweet out something that's inherently negative because something bad happened and you have to tweet it out. That's your job. That's the news. And invariably your mentions are typical Boston media, you know, we're kicking the Patriots when they're down, wait till they win. They'll be all, and it's like, we, that's not what we're doing. Like nobody, nobody got into the sports journalism business to continually kick the crap out of everybody or to always look at the negative. Uh, I, at least I don't think so. Um, so I think that that stereotype is wrong. Like we're looking for the best story. We're rooting for the best story. You know, we're, we're our job is not to root for the Patriots. You know, we want, you know, obviously our job is easier when the Patriots win because guys want to talk to you. Guys are more willing to give you a behind the curtain look when they lose, they're in a bad mood and they're not going to give you that insight. So in a way, yes, jobs easier when the Patriots win, but that's never something that, you know, real journalists are looking for. They're looking for the best story. And uh, that's such a common misconception because there are reporters that uh, do have that agenda. They're, you know, they're, you know, they're team reporters. They're, they're not going to report um, on a guy getting suspended. They're, you know, right. they're there for that. And those guys get followers on Twitter too. And they, you know, when you, when you're only reporting sunshine, your mentions are going to be sunshine. When that you is, have, that when is you well have, put. And I'll yeah. say this for the fans too. I, I understand. I think the media literacy is is one thing, and it's a larger discussion nationally in other different areas, much more important than the kiddie pool of life that is uh, professional sports. But the line and the distinction between a reporter, what you do and what I do, versus someone who might be employed by a team, has their own blog, or is a columnist, where there's a lot more opinion swirling in there, um, is, is difficult. And some people don't understand that because they were never taught that. There are no media literacy classes that are part of the same curriculum as you'd have in algebra or anything else. So I understand and I empathize to a degree, but you're right. I think it's an important point. We're not rooting for anything here. The most interesting story, like our job lives at the intersection of football and interesting. And as often as I can go revisit that, whether for you, it's at LSU or Tuscaloosa or Mexico city, that's the better we'll do our jobs. And sometimes the interesting is not necessarily positive, but that's, that's where we want to live. Um, for the last part of your question about Bill, yeah. Um, you know, I think the common perception to a lot of people is that he's cranky all the time. And a lot of that is because a lot of the clips that are shown on the local news or ESPN 
are when he's having, a, you know, not a great back and forth with the reporter. But what they never show is like those Friday morning press conferences that we used to like Fridays with Bill, right? Like we, that we're so used to when you go in there and the guys that are not there on Wednesdays because they only come once a week, but the guys like us were there every single day and we ask a pertinent football question. And it's like sitting back in a history class, right? Because he's going to give you an unbelievable answer. And you never see those highlights on ESPN. You have to read my story or your story or Mike Reese's story or, you know, uh, any of the countless other reporters out of there every day. You have to read those stories to glean that knowledge and to find out that if you do your homework and you ask a good question on an interesting topic, Bill's going to interact with you and going to give you good information. If you ask, you know, is Julian Edelman's toe broken today? You're not going to get, you know, like he's not going to give you that answer and you should know better at this point. So that's kind of, how I feel about it. Like, you know, you know, like if, if some guys will come in that, that aren't there very often and they'll, they'll shout out the first question at a press conference and just set a bad mood. And that really, that's killer for us because now we've got a guy who doesn't want to be there anymore instead of a guy who's willing to engage and, and teach you. Because again, going back to that point, I hate to keep belaboring it. That's what he is at heart is a teacher. And he likes to teach his players. And he, if we're apt students, we're going to get taught to. And I'll say just a, a couple of notes, and I agree largely with those points, is sometimes it's timing. You know, the clearest example we keep giving is Wednesday. They haven't practiced once yet. There's so much to do. The opponent, as he's just detailed, the, the morning meeting at 8 o'clock is a huge pain in the ass here. X, Y, and D, all these things that they can do to hurt us. Friday, the hay's kind of in the barn. They're going to have a non-padded, slower-paced practice. He knows how practice has gone. They've had their meetings, and so that's part of it. Other times, just like the rest of us, walks out on the wrong side of the bed, and he could be petty and a jerk to us because we don't really have any recourse in those settings unless you want to be unprofessional, which is not anything that you or I have ever sought out to do. Um, but the other part is I think it's just performative a little bit, you know, like any person, whether you're doing a, a hot take or a radio show, you amplify something that's already there, a part of your personality for Bill. And this is from players or people who have worked with them. It can be being a crank. And when he's trying to just protect the interests of his team, which is to the media and give nothing away to any sort of opponent or give anything, he'll amplify that part of his personality. And that's what you see time and time again, because he is remarkably consistent in that area of just kind of being short and terse. And that's what it is on Wednesdays. And you know why? And it's partly because that's who he is and that's who he chooses to be in those moments. But that you're absolutely right that there are moments where he's gone. I think it was six and a half, maybe seven minutes on why the long snapper gets his own roster spot. Like I think Ben asked that a year ago, two years ago, and he just goes on and on and on. So it has to be a good day. Most likely it has to be a Friday. And, uh, you know, he, you know, sometimes the relationships come into play, but ultimately with the camera on, he's going to be tight-lipped. So um, I'm glad you brought that up. All right. Last thing. One last thing you think people should know about everything we've covered or your time in the Patriots beat or what you're going to do next, or you just, it's around the horn and you won, Jim, you got 30, 60 seconds, make us laugh, make us smile. What can you do? Well, I'd like to thank, you know, a lot of people like uh, the Patriots players who've always been, you know, um, despite some of the reputation that there's been a lot of great guys in that locker room, Devin McCourty, Matthew Slater, Rob Nikovich. Um, I think about Chris Long, who was only here for a year, but incredibly insightful, uh, when you would ask him a question and just very patiently, he would take you through the process of why a play didn't work or why a play did work. When to the layman, you know, I, I would look at a play and say, well, geez, the left guard blew it here. That's why Brady got sacked. And Chris Long would say, well, actually, the left guard did his job. It was the left tackle who screwed up and it made the left guard look bad. Uh, and he would, you know, he would just take you through that. So I appreciated all the players that did that, the coaches that did that. Um, you know, and uh, the Patriots staff, Stacey James, you know, uh, just a great guy, you know, Patriots PR director and, you know, uh, a guy that's that's always trying to do his best for, for the media. Uh, he's sometimes stuck between a rock and a hard place, but great guy. And um, I think that's Stacey's address, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> One yeah. between a rock and a hard place, Mass. Yeah, yeah, it's it's tough. Um, and, and uh, you know, I'm looking forward to the Bruins, but I'm going to miss you and a lot of the other guys in the beat that we traveled with together for the last, you know, eight years or half dozen years or however long people have been on the beat. Uh, it made the job worthwhile because we would, you know, compete but commiserate together. And, you know, 
uh, sometimes have a, an adult beverage here and there on the road. So uh, I'll, I'll miss those times. Um, and, you know, you never know, like, like Arnold, I'll, I'll be back at some point. <laughs> I would love that. The days of working together for now have stopped, but the nights of hanging out and like you mentioned, maybe having a beverage or two must and will go on. Uh, this episode of the Pats Interference Podcast is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner for the CLNS Media Network. Jim, as I said at the top, it has been a pleasure, my friend. Go off the GM uh, availability and press conferences down there for the NHL in Nashville, where you are going to get real answers to fair questions. It's just going to be such a delight to see what you're writing next. Thank you, my friend. All right. Thanks.